Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Hello, 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 and welcome again to The Profitable Photographer. I still am Lucy Dumas. Imagine that. (laughs) And I'm excited about our guest today. He and I have crossed paths many times because he's been in the industry not as long as me, but a good while. (laughs) And I'm excited to actually get to sit down and have a one-on-one conversation with Bob. Um, Before I do that, I just want to give an absolute shameless plug to my coaching business. (laughs) I love to coach. I love the experience of watching people with a big dream unfold amazing businesses. And also by helping other people create images that are treasured for lifetimes, I get to be in more places at once. Because I'm sure as you've listened, I love to help people serve more people because I can't be everywhere. And if you've been listening to my show for a while, you know that I think that photographs are the most priceless possessions people can own. Um, I also know that photographing for business purposes helps everybody. So if you would like to know more about either my one-on-one coaching or I have a really awesome mastermind group going right now. It's a small, intimate group where we all support each other. Uh, Just go to lucydumascoaching.com and get in touch, or you can email me at lucy at lucydumas.com with an I. Phew. Okay. So Bob Coates is our guest today, and he's been a pro photographer for over 24 years. He also mucked about, he says, with photography for about 13 years before that. He came into the business and was able to leverage marketing and business that he had learned by working in other fields, which is often the case for people that are uh, quickly successful, is they've had experiences that help them in the business of photography. He is a master photographer, master artist craftsman and CPP with the Professional Photographers of America. And you can always see him judging or doing webinars or some other cool stuff somewhere around the world or on a Zoom call, right, Bob? That's pretty true. Good day. How are you, Lucy? Good. I have a little more in your bio. So he's had a, a varied career in photography, commercial weddings, portraits. He's also an author, educator, and fine art photographer. And now he's geared totally towards commercial and fine art as a lens-based artist. And we're going to talk about what that is a little later. So he's currently in Sedona, Arizona, but he lived a number of years in the U.S. and the British Virgin Isles. And uh, so welcome, Bob. Thank you so much for saying yes to me. Uh, when I ask you to be on my show. It's a pleasure, Lucy. Yeah. Okay. So, stand so, by to stand by. What you got? So um, can you briefly tell me how you decided to be a photographer? <laughs> I don't like when people say it that way unless they do it for fun. But um, 
What's your what's a little backstory? Uh, I'm going to give you the quick version because I could go on all day with no problem. The basically what happened was I had been picking up and putting down the camera for a number of years. Probably I think 13 was the the number, and I had lived aboard a boat. And my wife made me uh, remove my uh, darkroom equipment because I wasn't really using it. And uh, that was when we were living on board a boat in the uh, British Virgin Islands. Mm. And then we moved to uh, Saint Tom back to Saint Thomas and build a house there. From that point forward, I was running restaurants and, uh, you know, doing, uh, managing different places and finally decided, sat down and said, okay, what do I really want to do? Because I was working 18 hours a day in a beautiful place and not being able to enjoy it. So yeah, that, that led sounds... me to say, well, what do I really want to do? Mm-hmm. And the answer was? So when I, <laughs> and, the, and the answer was, um, I decided that I was going to be a professional photographer and I took on some part-time bartending jobs to uh, keep some cash coming in while I uh, developed the business and the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. So, Bob, what do you see is the key to getting your career going and then how you've been able to sustain it for 24 years? Marketing and business. Um, When I first started, I was an absolutely fabulous marketer and a mediocre photographer, and I was doing really well as far as having a lot of clients. But every time I turned around, I was looking and realized... I don't know where, where I'm not making any money. What's hmm. happening here? So I, that's when I joined uh, ASMP and PPA and got the ASMP business Bible. And by the fourth or fifth chapter in, I went, ah, I'm trying to make more money while I'm losing money on every job, but trying to make up for it in volume. Yeah. And it just <laughs> wasn't working out. Yeah. Um, For people that don't know what ASMP stands for, as I've, I've mentioned PPA a lot in the podcast, but ASMP, what is that? Americans, American Society of Media Photographers. Mm-hmm. And ASMP is more of, say, the business side um, for commercial photography, whereas PPA tends to be more portrait and wedding oriented um, as far as their marching orders and, and helping people. Right. So it seems clear that you discovered the secret to success in a business, which is that you have to market and you also have to sell and sell at a price where there's profit, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. When I when I first when I first decided to become a professional photographer, I went to every photographer on the island and said, "Hey, can I carry your bags for 6 months?" "Oh no, I'm not going to share my secrets with you." "Oh, okay. Um so can you tell me what it would command if I was going to do this kind of a job?" Uh, "Oh no, I'm not going to share my prices with you." And I, "Why?" Because you'll undercut me. So what ended up happening? I undercut everybody, not knowing that a job commanded $150 an hour and was only charging $50 an hour. But because I was such a good marketer, I was busier than a one-armed paper hanger. (laughs) Um, I have to tell you something funny. Uh, I was driving on the freeway one time and on a little off-ramp was a guy with one arm picking up paper plates that had fallen out of his truck. So maybe his other career is a one-armed paper hanger. <laughs> <laughs> or paper picker-upper is the case. Paper picker-upper. But yeah. Um, anyway, I I still, you know, it's just one of those, like, I guess if it was YouTube day or if we had phones, I would have stopped and photographed him. Except, no, that wouldn't have been nice. Anyway, <laughs> you just made me think of that. Um, 
it doesn't relate to anything whatsoever. Um, other than, uh, so it sounds to me like if the people that were afraid to share pricing with you had shared, then you would have been more competitive pricing or you would have been closer to them and actually it would have been in their favor to do that. Is that what you're kind of alluding to? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I never would have undercut them. I just didn't know what to charge. And I thought, well, 50 bucks an hour, that's a lot until you start to, you know, run your equipment and the time and the processing and film at that time, it was film costs. Um, When you, when you put everything together, it's not much at all. Yeah. Matter of fact, I was losing money on every job officially. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would bet that a lot of those people that were afraid to share didn't stay in business a long time because I don't know about you, but what I love about the industry uh, with PPA and ASMP and local is that openness for people to give and share and how that rising tide floats all boats. Yeah. At one point, I finally, um, after I realized what was going on, I invited all the photographers to lunch. Uh, on me and said, Hey, let's get together and have a chat. And we sat down and we had lunch and because we started talking about, you know, various things. It it turned out that the island was flying in photographers from stateside or they were uh, vendors were playing us against each other. Um, And when they're playing against each other, they would say, well, Don would do that job for this, Bob. And because I wasn't talking to Don, I had no idea. I was like, well, gosh, Don's a much better photographer than me. I guess, um, yeah, I could do it for that. We got that talked out a little bit and that's uh, awesome. Every you know, like you say, the rising rising tide floats all boats. Yeah. That well, I'm happy to hear that because I know there are people who think, oh, in my area, um, photographers are so distrustful of each other and competitive and they don't share. And so what you did is change the culture right where you were. Instead of instead of complaining about it, you did something about it. So um, gold star for that, Bob Coates. Yeah, that was the start of the Virgin Islands Professional Photographers Association. Well, that's awesome. Which lasted probably and probably lasted another five years after I left the islands and came to Sedona. Ah, sometimes groups kind of hinge on on having a leader, and then when that leader's gone, sometimes it's hard to keep it going. Is that kind of what you're? thinking happened there? Yeah, pretty much. I was, I was pretty pleased that it's still, that it lasted at least five years after that was pretty. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple of things that you mentioned um, in my questionnaire about things to talk about today. And one was lens based art. What is that? Okay. So um, the, the story is I was having a, a problem getting my message across to galleries. So when I would go to a gallery, if I said, oh, yes, I'm a digital photographer or a digital artist, you know, who based in photography, you know, the gallery owners or anybody that I was talking to, even, you know, just general clients would go, oh, yes, my high school daughter's a digital artist too. And, mm-hmm. every, you know, everybody's a digital artist. And Julie, Julianne Cost had brought this up and I think she heard it someplace else, but there was a thing called lens-based art. 
And that term rang with me very big time. And what I did was I went all in and adopted it and built a logo, you know, around being a lens-based artist and, and promote myself that way. And that way, when I go to a gallery and say, yes, I'm a lens-based artist, the question is, well, what is that? Mm -hmm. Which gives me the opportunity to open the dialogue and say, well, a lens-based artist means that all of my source material comes through a camera lens. After that, in Enhancement begins with color and adding depth and dimension and, you know, and describing the process and using, you know, super artsy fartsy terms. And they're like, oh, okay, this is art. It's, you know, because it takes a skill to do it. It's not just pushing a button saying, oh, make that a Rembrandt or make that a Degas or whatever. Mm -hmm. So all the material in lens-based art starts with photographs, meaning you, well, it starts with photographs, but do you include, I don't know, textures or all the... All of my artwork is is blended is blended with art. Yes. So it comes through the camera lens first. So Everything. that includes the textures and that includes the, uh, the initial pieces. So all my source material, that's what I work with. That's my, my palette for my painting, if you will. Yes. Um, and then blending things together using masks and blend modes. And, um, and I'm actually, I'm learning every day, lots of new techniques to enhance and, uh, you know, push the images to that next level where it has the feeling of art that's alive. And that's by alive. art that's alive, I mean, yeah. Um, I, I, one of the things that I found when I, I've been studying art in museums and go every, every place that I've ever traveled, I try and get to their uh, museum. And I've spent a lot of time in front of a lot of art. And one of the things that I found with art that really moved me was that the art looked different the whatever distance you were from viewing. So if you viewed it from really up close to five feet to 10 feet to 15 feet, if the light was different, the art looks different. Mm. And it's been my goal to and, you know, create that kind of art. And it's, uh, it has to do with creating depth and dimension. And one of the ways we just, we display it at the uh, gallery is we have a rheostat on the art there. And when we tell people that they're kind of like, oh yeah, well, that's really interesting. And then we turn the rheostat up or down and they're like, oh, look at that sunset. That's mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. And that's the, what I'm trying to, to build into my work. Yeah. Two thoughts on that. Who's the painter that does the quaint little scenes in the woods with um he's quite famous quite expensive if you buy original oh yes he passed yes thinking um, of? i know who you mean okay it'll, it'll come <laughs> to me i mean you can name. now you can buy plates you can buy you know on qvc you can buy tchotchkes with it um and it'll the listeners probably know but i was in hawaii once and had never heard of him and walked into his beautiful gallery and the salesperson took us into a room and then dimmed the lights and you watched how the glow of the house, you know, just popped or the sunset or um, just exactly what you're talking about. Thomas Kincaid. Whew! <laughs> yes. And honestly, like that experience, I still remember it. And it, it was just like, oh my gosh, this guy is amazing. And you don't get that same feeling if you see, you know, a poster or anything in just steady light. So I, that's brilliant. I've never heard of, of someone doing that uh, with their photographs. So um, yeah, that's a, that's a great tip. Yeah. It's not that remember they're not photographs. They are lens-based art where right. I've, you know, built them up and they have lots of layers and textures 
features and things that uh, make them stand out a little bit differently than a straight photograph. And I do those too, by the way. Mm -hmm. So clearly selling your art, displaying your art is something that is a part of your career. Um, Do you have some tips, some thoughts on how listeners who are doing lens-based art or more what we'd call traditional photographs, but that could be sold as fine art? Like, how do you sell that? You know, what are some avenues? You know, I can I can talk forever about how to sell portraits and wedding photographs, but I've I've sold a few of my uh, creative photographs, but um, I know people would love to hear some thoughts and ideas on this topic. Still working on that myself. Okay. Uh, the biggest thing for me was getting into a gallery, getting into the gallery. And then, of course, that had to do with uh, branding myself as a lens-based artist mm-hmm. and learning how to speak to gallery people, um, having the language um, of art versus, hey, I got to print a picture here, mm-hmm. uh, being able to speak in artistic terms and talk about your art as art versus um, you know, what, what did you do different? How did you put things together? Um, one of the things galleries look for is a history of sales. If you don't sneak in some other way, which I, I was able to sneak in another way. Um, I kind of had some friends who were uh, represented by this gallery and they talked me up and went in and, and had some good conversations with the gallery owner mm-hmm. um, and the gallerist that was there. Um, so they, they liked my work enough to give me a shot and I've sold, you know, not a ton of piece. I'm not making a living off of it yet, but, um, you know, hopefully moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I find is I think people charge too little, you know, they, they don't understand what their, what their actual costs are. You have your time of being, let's say you're doing landscape stuff. You have your time of out chasing the photograph to begin with, sitting in the cold or sitting in the heat, waiting for the light to be right. Um, you're, pro- you know, you're processing your camera equipment. All of that stuff mm-hmm. needs to be handled and, and worried about. And, and too many people give their stuff away. Right. Do you think that um, gallery owners would be less interested if you are pricing low or if you're getting in a gallery do they help you with uh how to appropriately price for their you know their buyers okay there's different kinds of galleries there's some what they call pop-up galleries or some small co-op galleries that uh, mm-hmm. are are pretty good and they tend to have you know a little bit lower priced um things but you you pay for being in those galleries by um usually having to be there yourself a certain period of time mm-hmm. um and those that can be a way to get established and start working things out um Another way is to do the um, show circuit, and that would be, you know, having a, you know, the pop-up tent and you go to different art fairs and sell your work there. But again, if you sell your work too inexpensively, you're not going to make your cost. You know, a lot of people go, oh man, I sold $400 worth of stuff. That's great. Okay. What did it cost you to produce that $400 worth of stuff? How much was your travel time? How much time did you sit in the you know, parking lot of this place. So those are things that, that people tend not to kind of consider when they first start out doing that. So they don't charge enough. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to, to, you know, get proper dollars or, you know, do, you know, go, you can make a lot more money at McDonald's. Right. And you don't just have to sit there. You get to move around. <laughs> and there's that lovely smell of, <laughs> smell exactly. of grease that you get to take home with you. So. <laughs> So uh, galleries, 
both ones that you you pay to be in or you pay with your time galleries that are actual fine art galleries where they accept you and have salespeople and and so forth that being in shows those are very difficult to get in these days i bet the uh the fine art galleries are very difficult to get in these days they're you have to remember that they have rent to pay and think they're going to take a 50% cut of whatever you do. So if you don't have a product that can command, you know, a couple thousand dollars or $3,000, then they don't want to use up wall space for something that they can only sell for 400 they're going to take half or 60 percent and so they get 200 to 220 dollars and then you get what you know whatever you can do you've you've hardly even paid for your framing and, and mounting and matting and stuff right so um it's doable but there's it what i'm hearing is that you don't want to have that as your main goal, at least to start, but to be um, doing some of those other other things. I have a friend who, um, she was a very successful portrait photographer. She's kind of my, my twin in business. And when she decided to retire, she got into fine art photography and she's been doing just what you've said. She uh, There's a little local gallery that was an old train station in uh, Lucadia in the San Diego area. And uh, she has a wall there and she, she goes, I don't know, twice a month for two hours to man the gallery. And she's, she's done things um, like getting into contests and shows and things, um, juried shows that, that are kind of like pop-up. Have you done, done any of those The you know, to get, just get many many years ago i had a uh, you know setup where i could take my work around and and do the things it's an awful lot of work and it's mm-hmm. very difficult um unless you get into the really higher end um juried shows it's not something that i would do anymore but mm-hmm. for somebody starting out and wanting to get there you, there's a couple of things advantages of doing that you get to talk to a lot of people you get to tell people how you do your stuff. That's why <laughs> when I talk to people who are still doing uh, the the shows, the you know the major thing is people will come up and say, "Oh, well, how do you do that? Oh, that's great. Okay, mm-hmm. now I'm going to go home and try it." Mm-hmm. Um, so so you become a a vendor of information at no charge versus uh, selling your work, unless for some reason it catches on big time. Mm-hmm. Have you found any online opportunities to sell? your your uh, fine art photographs or used social media to market them is that a you know do you have any there's a couple possibilities for that okay uh, one would be there is a uh, website called fine art america and if you just go in the front door and put your work in and become a fine art america artist you will be lumped in with probably i would guess now probably 600,000 other artists Mm. Um, but one thing when I first went to Fine Art America, um, I said, hey, you know, I, why would I drive traffic to Fine Art America to sell my work if when they do a search for black and white photography, they get to look at everybody's and it's not just mine. So if you do decide to do something like Fine Art America and want to drive your own traffic, which you're going to have to do anyway, um, you need to, they, We I talked to them and had them set up a place where every artist can have their own little home within there with their own address. Mm. And if somebody is in that home, when they 
ask or you know they do a search for a certain type of work or a change something it's only showing that artist's work within there so that's that's something that you need to do i also now have a fine art america no fine off to look there's there's another uh, artist website service that i'm now using that i think does a pretty good job if you go actually if you go to it's faso fine art services of america anyway if you go to um coatsart.net you'll see their logo at the bottom of my web page and you can uh, dig that out yeah. when you look after after looking at my work for a little bit yeah <laughs> so what i hear you saying with that is you're not just putting some work on there and hoping that it gets found with no effort on your part, that it's still a matter of um, you promoting your work and having a way for them to see that and purchase it and to make sure that that you've got it set up so that people then don't go to other uh, photographers looking for, you know, something in a certain color or certain style. Is that did I say that clear as mud? <laughs> Basically, the the passive here, I'm going to post that is probably not that effective. Is that right? The whole idea is we're back to marketing and business. Darn it. <laughs> if you don't market and sell your work, it's not it's not going to be done. Um, there are very few people who can, you know, hire up an agent and have their work, you know, and just work as artists and, you know, have their work sold. Um, so essentially, it's all back to marketing. You need to drive traffic to your work and get people interested. So if you're really looking to do it, one of the things you want to do is track all of your sales and collect um, a marketing list. You're the bet the easiest people, as you know, to sell to are people who have already bought your work. Mm -hmm. So if you've sold something to somebody, you should be, you know, grabbing their contact information, putting them in a, you know, putting out a little newsletter, staying in touch with them, saying happy birthday, you know, letting them know you're still there and saying, oh, by the way, you know, you've got that. I have something really cool that I think you'll be interested in. So again, marketing to people who've already purchased your work is a, mm -hmm. is a really smart way to go. I've often thought over the years of my career, gee, if I had my personal work where when clients come into the studio, they see that and they realize they could buy it, that that might be an avenue uh, because someone that's a fan of my Absolutely. photography, the likelihood of them uh, buying a piece that is my personal piece. Uh, sounds like you're saying, yes, that's a good idea. Absolutely. Show what you want to sell as far yeah. as your gallery goes. You know, if you have people coming in and you've got an area to show the um, artistic work that you're doing that's over and above your portrait work, that's a great place to be talking to people and, you know, having a spot there. But set it up like it's a gallery. Have prices, have titles, have a little story about that particular art piece and why it's cool and or what was done to make it happen. Make it a gallery experience mm -hmm. and you'll be moving people closer. Mm. Well, and that gets me to think about um, one of the branding notions that I have created uh, for myself is that I'm not simply a photographer, but I'm an artist who uses photography as her art. So I could see that enhancing that overall um, perception by even if if nobody bought my fine art photography, it it kind of puts you up a couple notches, 
a couple notches in people's minds if it's presented as fine art rather than like some snapshots that you took. So yeah, um, interesting thoughts on that. I also, I have a vacation rental and I have some of my photographic art as decor and I always think how I could uh, set it up so people could buy my photographs. Uh, haven't done it yet, but I, I think there's, it's kind of that guerrilla marketing concept. There's probably lots of little ideas. Would you agree with that? That person could just think up? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, some, I know uh, a buddy of mine who um, has been doing tours to Europe and gathering images for uh, quite a long time. He, he uh, takes photographers to uh, Italy and France and of course he goes at the best times and he's making images as well as helping to lead the tours. Mm -hmm. um, he's built a huge business on his thing. And I know that he used, um, he had some uh, stuff done with uh, Starbucks where he was able to present his material there. He also did, did the shows and he built up a reputation and tracked all of his sales, um, which is one of the reasons I know about this, this whole technical idea. He, um, moved everything on his name is Jim Chamberlain and he's in mm. Naples, Florida. Okay. And I know he's, he's sold work to some of the big boys like, you know, Target and et cetera, with some of his work. And mm. I, I, I know he's uh, done very, very well with it. So is he traveling with photographers? Then is that what you said? Or he travels? He would lead photographic tours to Italy and France. Mm -hmm. uh, matter of fact, I one time I wanted to go to Italy, and I sat one day and said, "The first first few days, I said I want to go to Italy, but I don't want to pay. I want to go to Italy, but I don't want to pay." And you know, put the little mantra and threw it out to the universe. And a couple of days later, Jim calls and says, "Hey, Bob, um, my uh, my second guy." Uh, Dave Newman isn't going to be able to make a trip to Italy. Would you mind, um, or is it possible for you to come help lead the tour? Ooh. And I was like, well, let me check my calendar. You know, <laughs> so mm. did get to get a chance to go and travel with him, uh, which was awesome. Oh, how fun. Um, and we did, you know, we did one tour. And then, uh, so I, I have a fair number of images from uh, the Provence region of Italy. Awesome. Um, have you heard of Michael Seewald? I have not. Okay. So he has a gallery in Del Mar, which is one of the most affluent areas in San Diego in a, in a beautiful kind of boutique-y um, mall, right? Pretty much on the ocean. He takes commissions where he has people pay in advance for a piece of art. So basically they pay for his trip. So he announces, and of course, he's built his following and he stays in touch with them. And so he'll say, uh, you know, I'll be going to Tuscany in the summer and I'll be creating five limited edition portraits where there's only 10 available, for example, of each of those five. So if you pre-purchase, then you get to to select one of those five and it's first come, first serve. And so people give him like $3,000. So his trip is paid for and the art is paid for. And then he continues to sell whatever he sells in his gallery. But um, I just, he's been doing this for years, Bob, and um, it works. He's, you know, and honestly, 
you know, his work is nice. It's not, um, it's not earth shattering. It's not anything that most of my friends who are, you know, excellent photographers wouldn't do, but just, I don't know, would you like that idea of somebody paying you up front to go travel and then guaranteed that they're, they're buying your art when you get home? I had heard of that model and yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's not no. something that I've, pers- it's not something that I've pursued because I've been on the road. Um, I, I go on the road a lot teaching, you know, sharing stuff with uh, professional photographer organizations, judging uh, things and presenting programs. So um, I, you know, as well as the art, I, so I have my fingers into a lot of different pies. So I, mm-hmm. I never go all in on any one. So I'm always great, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. When you add it all up, it works fine for me. Yes. Yeah. I just thought I'd forgotten about this, but I've always thought that was such a brilliant uh, way to sell our photography. And, and it just always makes me think that there's ideas that nobody's even thought of that can, you know, suddenly, not suddenly everything takes work, but like the, my listeners, you probably have really interesting ideas in your own heads that no one (laughs) has uh, done before that can work. So um, yeah. So let's see, you also had a note about micro four thirds format and that you're a fan of that. And I don't know what that is. I mean, I, once you tell me, I probably will know, but what is that? Micro four thirds is a format. So you have full frame APS-C and then right below that is micro four thirds. It has to do with the size of the sensor. And because it has a small sensor size, we are the uh, lenses and et cetera are much the cameras themselves and the, uh, the systems with the lenses are much lighter. So since I, travel quite a bit. Um, I've worked with, and if, if you hear the names Panasonic and Lumix, uh, uh, Panasonic and Lumix with their camera line and the Olympus EM camera lines, those are all micro four thirds. Mm. Um, and over the years, I've been shooting micro four thirds for probably about six years. When I did a trip to, my wife was always griefing me and saying, why are you carrying so much heavy gear? And I had 35 pounds of gear with me all the time. And I said, what's your problem? You're not carrying it. She said, well, you're not either. Cause you're leaving the stuff in the rooms. Cause it's so heavy, <laughs> you know, to have that, you know, 70 to 200 lens hanging from your shoulder along with the big camera. You're going like, ah, I'm not carrying that with me. Cause it's so heavy. Um, and at that point I had tried several different brands and um, even spent a thousand dollars on a Leica point and shoot. And unfortunately the files would fall apart. You know, even though there was a lot of tech involved, the the files would just explode when I tried to work with them. Mm -hmm. And I happened upon Lumix GH2, which was uh, first going to uh, the micro four thirds format. And they were gearing, starting to gear toward professional photographers. And I got the GH2, went with me to France. I had a little belt pouch and I made images and got loan collection images from them and started creating art from those images. And they didn't fall apart. So I ran around with all my friends going, oh my God, I found your vacation camera. I found your vacation camera. You know how that is. <laughs> and a buddy of mine said, you know what? You, you really need to get together with Panasonic. And I was like, no, no, no. And eventually he hooked us up and I became a, a Lumix luminary. So I was able to be part of the growth of and 
and suggesting features and things. I don't know if they use my suggestion specifically, but some of the ones that things that I thought were important for a mirrorless camera and some mm-hmm. of the features, you know, eventually got in there, whether I had actually anything to do with it or not. I like to think so, but um, I definitely like the idea of having this, the smaller format mm-hmm. um, and the, the lightweightness, especially heading off, you know, when doing landscape and things like that. Right. Yeah. I, I see people lugging, uh, you know, all this stuff up, up a trail. And, you know, when I've been in national parks and people that I know are not even selling their work and they're shooting on, on uh, JPEG, not raw. And, you know, they have more equipment than I do. And I, I just like, oh my gosh, I, I love my iPhone just because on those kinds of things, it can do an awful lot with the newest versions, but I love that idea. I'd forgotten about that camera. You know, the mirrorless became uh, so advertised and so many people talking about it that I forgot about that. Now, do you use those at all um, in your commercial photography, which is your your bread and butter right now is commercial work? Is that right? Yes. Yes. And so- yes, I absolutely do. I've been shooting, you know, and I've, I've, heard, I've heard the argument and people are always, well, but I, did, did they're making mirrorless and full frame. And this was over the years. Are they making mirrorless and full frame? You got to have full frame. You got to have, and you don't need full frame. What you need to do is learn how to work with the tools that you have. And um, I've even done shoots for, you know, Hilton and they have a very, very specific quality level that they need to have. That was the only job that I had that I was nervous about. And I shot my Canon next to it. Um, and when it was, when the, uh, Lumix files were approved by Hilton, I went, okay. And started selling off my, uh, my Canon gear and ah. went full into the mirrorless. Wow. Uh, I'm now into Olympus uh, a lot. I'm still using a lot of my Lumix cameras, but the Olympus has, uh, they've been working on a lot of in-camera uh, features. Like it has a, a, a uh, setting for setting up and using a neutral density filter. You can oh. make an 80 megapixel file from the 20 megapixel chip. For photographing artwork for artists in my commercial business, um, I use that system and basically it makes eight images and offsets them by something like a half a pixel and then blends them together into the 80 megapixel file. And I wasn't able to do that before until Olympus set it up so that you could set a little timer in between so that it, it would wait two seconds to make each of one of those exposures because your flash needed time to recycle. Whoa, you just blew my mind, Bob. <laughs> What what camera is that? Yes, the Olympus and the Panasonic cameras are all uh, mirrorless. Um, okay. The one that I'm speaking of right now is the um, OMD E M1 Mark III, and that's their that's their latest uh, smaller one. They have another one that has a battery grip built in that's a little bit heavier duty, the EM1X. Um, both of those will do those things. But they, you know, the way the the mirrorless is set up, um, you can do things like when I use it. Oh, I love it for my wildlife photography because mm. I'm able to shoot into the past. What? And by that, I mean, I can, yeah, I know it's like freaky. So many times, if you've ever done any wildlife photography, you're trying to get a, maybe a bird starting to fly. Mm-hmm. And by the time you see the bird fly, it's already too late to push the button. Right. And you get, you know, the, the ass end and the feet hanging out of the side of a, <laughs> Always of a frame. Uh-huh. Well, with this... This, you can, there's a a setting called Pro Capture, and you can focus on the bird and hold the shutter down halfway 
And while you have the shutter down halfway, the camera is recording all of these images, but it's not saving them. So what happens is once you see the bird fly, then you push the button down the rest of the way and it goes back whatever number of frames you've told it to do. So you're actually, you know, grabbing images from the past. It's a killer feature. Wow. So is there like a a standard that you feel like is the right amount of going back in the past? And I'm not answering that, asking that question well, but like, what do you set it? What do you tell it to do? When I first started doing it, I was doing like 40 frames and I would get, you know, 30 frames of the bird sitting there still not moving. So uh, that's something that you experiment with a little bit. I'm finding 10 to 15 frames is plenty. Mm. If it's, uh, you know, really important, you may want to go back 25, but you do end up throwing away a lot of frames. But the idea is that when it does save them, it's just, you know, you get the actual behavior and it's firing at a very rapid rate. So you're able to get the exact moment that you want where the wings are bent in the proper you know proper configuration that you're looking for Mm. Um, but you can't you can't ref once you pick a moment can you go back or go forward or is it that's your moment sure no you download them all into your computer as soon as you press the button the rest of the way down all of those files are then saved to the camera to the card ah okay so it's kind of on line with the live view on on the iPhone, uh, except I don't know what that, if we can pick our moment or go backwards when you want to pick your still. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just processing this right now. It's very akin to photographing with video. So with the Panasonic cameras, they had a similar feature, but they were leveraging the video captures. But that would only allow you to um, have a JPEG of the scene. Whereas with the Olympus setup, it's now, it's now a way so that once you press the button down, you're capturing raw files as well. Got it. And uh, then you, you know, once you've downloaded them to your computer, that's when you pick which wing segment you like. Mm. Um, I also use um, that setup where I have multiple images of a bird doing, you know, as it's taking off, I will grab individual images and layer them together to show the behavior of the bird actually going off in one mm. frame. So I'll have a picture of the bird maybe sitting there and then it's lifting its wings and then moving forward, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Yeah. I haven't. I, uh... I love showing bird behavior. Yeah. So is bird photography something that you particularly enjoy when you're out in nature? Absolutely. Oh. Um, I've been sp- I spent uh, time over at the uh, Bosque del Apache National Wildlife Reserve. And um, one year I was there and I-, I turned to my buddy and said, you know what, they do a, an event every year and I'm going to be, I'm going to do the cover for that. Mm. And he was like, yeah, yeah, sure you will. And so after we finished shooting that, that session, I, I went online and looked and they said they had a contest. So I submitted four images and three of my four images were in for the final and I ended up doing the cover. And then they let me from doing the cover, I actually set up a, uh, they gave me space on the trade show floor for the following year to um, sell my work and show my work. And um, of course had the cover and they've made t-shirts wow. and sweatshirts and mugs and things wow. out of that image. Congratulations. Wow. So on the Olympus, what? Yes, I'm very fortunate. Yeah, well, you deserve it. You work hard and, you know, you're very gifted creatively and you 
I know you also put in a lot of blood, sweat and tears into what you do. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. What's your favorite uh, lens with that Olympus camera? I don't usually do tech talk, but uh, um, this is, uh, yeah, very fun info. So what's your favorite lens? It depends on what I'm photographing. If I'm doing uh, the night sky, I live in a dark sky area. And if I go further north, that can be even darker in um, northern Arizona and Utah, um, Flagstaff, Sedona, we're all dark sky areas. Mm -hmm. So um, when photographing the Milky Way, I really like that eight millimeter fisheye f1.8. Relatively inexpensive lens. It's fast glass. It can gather the stars, and it has a really wide, wide, far you know field of view. Mm -hmm. For the birds, they've just come out with a 100 to 400 millimeter, mm. um, which is the equivalent of a. 200 to 800 millimeter and if you add a 2x extender tele extender on there it goes to 1600 millimeter and it's hand holdable at that because wow. the um the uh, anti-shake um or you know anti-vibration stabilization setups that they have in the cameras now is just amazing mm. at the 1600 you, you might be good to have a tripod you if you're if you're steadying yourself really well but even at the 800 millimeter um no problem at all hand holding and tracking birds by hand if you know if that's what you uh, that's what you happen to have and don't have a gimbal so I, I was thinking that you were all in on Lumix, but this Olympus is also a micro four thirds sensor, correct? It is. And what ha what happened was I was I was not a um, I I finished my contract with uh, Panasonic, and uh, the Olympus folks said, "Hey Bob, since you're not doing you know uh, an ambassador for Panasonic anymore, would you like to try out our gear?" And I was like, "Well, sure." So they sent me some gear for a couple of months, and they had built in some, you know, some, some tech feature where the cameras are becoming, you know, you know, computer literate with a lot of the features that I'm talking about. Like, for example, one more thing, when I was speaking of photographing the stars, it has a setting to photograph on the stars. So what? that's always been a difficult thing for nighttime photographers, because you're, you're like, oh, geez, I need to do an infinite focus, but no, I need to tweak it back just a little because infin infinite is not actually infinite. And, you know, this mm -hmm. way you go starry sky focus. And when it when it does that, you know, you're locked into the stars and they're going to be exactly, you know, super sharp. Wow. <laughs> so my last question on uh, this is the tech talk portion of the profitable photographer. Um, so with the longer lenses and is it. This is where you can spend your money now. So before we were talking about making money now, here's a place where you can go spend it because I ended up buying uh, buying this gear because um, they 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 like me, but they said, Bob, you need to buy gear in order for us to work with you. So we, and then the, co then the COVID came. So, but I'm still liking the gear. Yeah. So even with those longer lenses, it's still a lightweight choice or it, does it change into um, like, okay, now I'm still hauling some gear around. Relatively it in order to have that same reach, your camera, your, if you were using a full frame uh, camera, you would probably be maybe two and a half times as much weight, mm. if not more. Okay. Again, depending upon the lenses and, and, you know, how far you want to reach, but it's still, you know, hand holdable, like I said. Yes. And can you blow something up to a 40 by 60 and have it look good, yeah. you know, processed well in raw with that size of sensor? 
I do. I have been. That's that's one of the things, like I say, we always, you know, people were always arguing, saying you can't do that. You know, we have to have a full frame. And I was like, no. Do you remember back when our, our cameras first came out? And, you know, when after they went through the after they went through the one megapixel, two megapixel yeah. thing, and they got up to six megapixels for the Fuji S2. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Um, I was doing you know, 40 inch prints with that. And we're now we're working with 20 megapixel cameras, albeit a slightly smaller sensor. Now, is it the be all and end all for everything? Oh, heck no. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, you know, pro- as, as uh, my handler at Panasonic always said, proper tool for the proper job. Mm. When I find I need more pixels for, let's say, a landscape when I'm out, um, I'll make sure I'm on a tripod. I will then do... Uh, multiple exposures, but overlap them. So basically do panoramic type shooting um, and then blend them together um, as master files. I just finished one file that's over um, over 13,000 pixels by about 6,400 pixels because I blended two rows of panorama together. Uh-huh. And so I'm, you know, you're not not stuck with just the little little thin shot too you can just keep blending them and you can have a very 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 large file to work with lots of pixels to play with you just have to work a little bit harder for it again knowing how to work with the tools that you have right right i love all of this thank you i haven't i haven't had camera chat <laughs> with people in a while and um <laughs> the, the one issue is i i bought a a mirrorless with the is it the ap sensor is that not APS, APC. APC. And APC. Mm-hmm. when I went uh, to Europe um, a couple of years ago, I brought one Canon instead of two and some simple lenses. And I brought that. And there were days when I was mad at myself because I forgot my camera and then realized it was in my bag because <laughs> it was so lightweight compared mm-hmm. to what I'm used to, you know, the, the, the Sony. Um, my one challenge is... Um, the ease of like seeing all those little numbers, you know, as it gets smaller, the numbers, the controls get smaller. <laughs> and and uh, then you use the back of the camera, just use the LCD and you're home free. All right. As long as I have my glasses on my reading glasses <laughs> with my Canon, it, you know, it's so intuitive that I can practically uh, change everything to where I want it in the dark. But anyway, do you ha- have a tip or two on that? It sounds like. Um, yeah, actually, I, uh, yeah. Number one, you always want to practice with your gear. And uh, a good way to, to do that is to have your camera in your lap with your with your manual, either on your computer or your paper manual that comes with it. Mm-hmm. And then just each day do one 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 page from your manual and and have the camera in your hand while you're watching TV or movies or whatever and change settings and see if you changed yeah. oh i'm going to change the iso did i hit the right button oh yes i did oh good okay no i hit the wrong button well i needed to learn the iso there and it becomes a muscle memory type of thing so that's a yeah. great way to learn yeah. um, but what i was going to share was i I work with uh, Hunt's Photo, and if your listeners want, I have um, some really good deals of 10 or 20% or even 25% off on a lot of the things that we talked about. If um, if they would like that, they can email me, okay, and uh, we can send that out as you know as a as a thank you for hanging out and and listening to the show. Okay, yeah, that was going to be my next question, Bob. So uh, thanks for uh, making it so I don't have to ask you. Um, so Bob at bcphotography.com, is that where we get in touch with you? 
That's correct. Okay. And um, so that's a great place. Hunts Photography is a camera store. Is that is that what we get there? Hunts Hunts Photo is Hunts Photo is a camera store. Yep. And I what they need to do is if they get it for me, I'll send them a a, a sheet with uh, all the different uh, deals that are there. It's like ten percent off of uh, Olympus cameras and lenses, twenty percent off of Panasonic cameras and lenses. Um, I have and what they did was they they asked me what gear I use. Um, you know, tripods and platypods and things like that. And then they've made a deal for almost everything that I have in my kit. So you know, you can always look through there and see if there's something that you're interested in. Oh. So it's a code, it's a sheet that, that you can just look over and say, oh, those things look good. Um, well, th- thank you for that. That's huge. I have a contact at Hunt's Photo who will, um, that'll be in there as well. And what you do is you just email him specifically and say, hey, this is, you know, Bob Coates told me to come and this is what he said you could get me. Awesome. Um, so that brings me to my last uh, question, which is, is there anything that you either haven't shared uh, that is in, in the realm of um, being a profitable photographer or just something you'd like to leave the listeners with? Kind of your um, last Yeah, word. and we've already talked about a little bit, but I, I can't stress enough that marketing and business and charging enough for your work are what makes it possible for you to be a professional photographer. Um, There's a lot of people who are not charging enough for their service and or the product that they sell. And that's why they're, you know, we have the photographers come in and last for a year or two years and then kind of fade away. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the next wave comes when the next wave of camera comes. So I highly recommend getting educated, become a better marketer and business person, and then you can work on your photography on the side. That you preach into the choir with me. And I'm glad um, to have you remind people that that we're not just, oh, I'm going to be a photographer, do good work, and people are going to beat, beat a path to my door. That uh, that just doesn't work for most people or most artists. You know, I think about the artists who were famous, who got to actually make a good living in photography instead of dying broke. And then later, you know, their work sells for millions of dollars. And I know that that the reason those painters will say actually were financially successful while they were alive. They had to be marketing. They had to have been running it as a business. I mean, I don't know the details, but um, would you agree that that my guess on that is is probably true? Yes, madame. Yes. And the other way to make it work is if you have a patron who absolutely loves your work and will pay you to do whatever it is that right. you do, there's, they're few and far between. Well, and somehow you had to market yourself in order to get the pat- patron, the patron, you know, like you're not just sitting in your house and someone's knocking on the door saying, I love your work. I'm going to, you know, pay you to paint. It's a business. No matter how we get paid, we got to do some work to get to get the income. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Bob, so much. You know, we've, like I said, we've crossed paths, but I don't know if we've ever just sat down, you know, maybe we've stood in line. I think you and I might've been on a shuttle one time going into Phoenix or I don't, I don't remember, but you know, what a treat to get to have this. Yeah. What a treat to get to have this time, uh, you know, to have good conversation and I look forward to the time when we can meet again in person and continue this conversation. So thank you very, very much. 
Thanks for letting me hang out. You're welcome. Okay, so I'm ready for the quick wrap up. Before I do that, I just want to remind you that I would love to hear from you and uh, chat and find out how I might serve you. And also, I'm still looking for people who would like to be coached on a podcast. Um, It's an opportunity to dig deep on uh, topics related to profitability in the wedding or photography industry and have um, that information support other people as well. So please get in touch if you're interested uh, so we can chat. Alrighty. So talking to Bob Coates, I am going to go backwards a little. It was really fun to get um, that tech talk on the micro four thirds camera, which I remember maybe eight years ago, that being a big thing until mirrorless came around. And um, so I'm going to definitely be stopping in my camera store to uh, take a look at that Olympus and such, because I love to travel and I don't like carrying lots of gear. I like to just... uh, make it work. And so uh, his core his core message was the importance of learning how to market and sell and I'm going to say not just learning how to do it but doing it. <laughs> when I coach people, I have them fill out kind of a weekly time card where they can take a look at how much time they're spending in different activities and if they're not spending a good chunk of their time marketing, then I kind of push him a little bit because nothing really happens until you do the work. Um, And then we talked a lot about the business of fine art photography and some of the ways that if you have some of the ways, if you have personal work that you're doing, that you might find places to sell that work, um, some ideas for that. So one was to get in galleries and he said, learning how to to speak the language of galleries and gallery owners is important. He said, number two, we don't want to undercharge um, because that that makes it, um, it devalues our work. And m- maybe people won't, he didn't say that, but I think when you invest well in something, you treasure it more. Um, he said, another way is that we can, we can get on a circuit, um, art shows, home shows, things like that, but you don't want to undercharge and you want to realize that your time and the investment in everything that goes into having a booth somewhere can be high. So you need to weigh out the pricing and uh, what it's actually costing you. We talked a little about juried shows and he said it can be a lot of work to get in them, but you get to talk to a lot of people. And um, it didn't sound like he thought that necessarily was going to lead to the big bucks, uh, but it can be a fun way to get your work in front of people. And then we also talked about online options for selling our work. And there is one called Fine Art America. And he said, uh, if you go in the front door, which is basically to let them post your work and you have keywords and things. If somebody's searching for, let's say, black and white scene of a lighthouse, they're going to see hundreds of those and yours will be just one in those hundreds. And the likelihood of it selling is not too strong. But if you create your own um, URL that's connected to that, your own home, your own 
platform, then you market that to people and they can go there and buy your work. He also said FASO is another place where you can set up your own gallery within their world. And then again, you have to do the work of marketing and getting seen. So I really enjoyed talking to Bob. He's got a lot to share and it was fun to have a little tech talk because I don't usually do that, but I know some of you love those kind of conversations as well. So keep uh, doing what you're doing, keep marketing, keep learning to sell, keep photographing and uh, keep coming back. Thanks a bunch. Bye now. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.